Blog Talk Radio. For the Bobby Eaton Show, yeah. giving you information you'll want to know, speaking on issues affecting us all, and music for the soul. Yeah. It's the Bobby Eaton Show. Bobby. It's the Bobby Eaton Show. Bobby. It's the Bobby Eaton Show. Bobby. It's the Bobby Eaton Show. Hello world, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you're at on, on the globe. Hey, and welcome to the Bobby Eaton Show. This is where we tell our stories our way. Located in Black Tulsa, Black Wall Street, Tulsa, Oklahoma. So if you're listening, uh, you can tune in. Go to KBOB899.com. That's our live stream. You can catch us there. Uh, if you're in your cars here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, KBOB 89.9, just tune in. And boy, do we have a great show for you today. We got the Greenwood Cultural Center with uh, Michelle Brown. We're going to be in here. The lovely Miss Brown is in here. And uh, we're going to be chopping it up, talking about news you can use and information you need to know. So we want you to be conscious of everything. Take some time right now. Tune in. You know, you can, um, once again, KBOB 89.9 FM here in Tulsa. Our iTunes podcast, iHeartRadio, just Google the Bobby Eaton Show, and uh, we'll be right at your doorsteps right there. All right, we're going to take a little break, and we're going to bring Miss Brown here in a minute. So just stick around. You're on KBOB 89.9, blogtalkradio.com. There's too many of you to try Brother, brother, brother There's far too many of you die You know we To bring some love in here today Father, father we don't need to escalate. See, war is not the answer, for only love can conquer hate. You know we've got to find a way to bring some love and kiss here today. Pick it light and pick it fast. Punish me with brutality. Talk to me so you can see. Right on. 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 Right on.
Thank you so much, Bobby. I'm happy to be here. I'm glad you're here. I haven't been here in a while, so uh got a little catching up to do, huh? Yes, yes. Uh, yeah. I love talking to you. So. Oh, I love talking to you. <laughs> We've got great conversation. And we got also got great conversation for all of you out there listening today. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about several different things. And I'd like for you to uh, have your family and friends tune in. You know, go right now, text them, whatever you got to do. Because we're chopping it up and talking about something. Yeah. Well, first of all, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. I can't complain. God is good. Okay. Yeah. Okay. As long as I hear that you, I'm doing fine. <laughs> that's okay with me. Yeah. And Michelle, you are you native Tulsan? I am born and raised. Born and raised. What school did you go to? I went. <laughs> <laughs> I'm asking. You know, where did you go to school? I, I went to Daniel Webster. Oh, you went to Webster. Okay, okay. Well, during a period of time when a lot of people were bust out, and yes. went to different places and yes. things like that. Born and raised here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yeah. And uh, that's where you graduated from Webster. I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody couldn't go to Booker T now, you know, yeah. right? <laughs> and, and McLean and stuff like that. So we did have people graduate from Webster, Rogers, Central. Um, you know, various other places throughout the city. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah. So you uh, got on staff at the Greenwood Cultural Center. How long have you been there now? I have been there 24 years. 24 years at the Greenwood Cultural Center. You and Miss Frances, Frances Jordan. Frances has been there almost as long. Yeah, Yeah. almost as long. Were you there before her? Yes. Okay, you came before Frances did. Yes. And when you first came, who was the director then? Sherry Tisdale. Sherry Tisdale. Sherry yeah. Tisdale. Yeah. It seems like it was so long ago. Her kids were babies. My kids were babies. Uh-huh. Um, Sherry was there. And down the hall was the Oklahoma Jazz Hall of Fame. Wow. With Betty Downing and Sedona would would be there. And yeah, that's Senator Sedona. Horner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And all that crew. That was a good crew. That was a good crew. Yeah, a big crew of people right there. And I know uh, being there 25 years, it's probably went through a few changes with personnel yeah. and things like that. What is it about the cultural center that really intrigues you to keep on going and staying there? Well, when I first came, I actually came um, on a tour in 1995. And it was the first time that I ever 
learned about the Tulsa Race Massacre and Black Wall Street, the history in its entirety. And learning about it for the first time after being born and raised in North Tulsa, we had a Black history class. I had Black educators, but we never talked about it. We never learned about it. And I went through the same emotions that I think so many people go through when they first learn about it, is that you feel this enormous hurt and pain um, for what Blacks experienced um, during the massacre. But you also feel this enormous pride when you think of the history of Black Wall Street. And then I was uh, overwhelmed with feelings of anger and resentment, realizing what had happened to our community, Mm -hmm. how many people had lost their lives. Um, There's such a rich history surrounding the history of Black Wall Street and um, the, the massacre that took place. But it was that history that drew me um, to want to uh, be a part of telling the story. And I actually came to work there uh, a few months after taking that tour. And I started as an office assistant and I would follow uh, Eddie Faye Gates and Carmen Petty as they were giving tours and telling this history, telling the story. It was about that time that the, um, Tulsa Race uh, Riot Commission, as it was called at that time, was formed to study the events of the massacre. And so we were getting um, national attention around this history. We were identifying survivors. and But slowly over time, our survivors began to, uh, to pass away. And I remember what one of our survivors said was that Um, what they wanted more than anything is for their grandchildren, their children and grandchildren to know about the history of Black Wall Street, to know that they were successful business owners, they were savvy business owners, that they had a love for each other, a love for community. And so I have felt that while I know that um, I did not have the experience or the educational background Um, to qualify me to be in that position or or to be in that role, I felt as if I was given the task of telling the story, of sharing this history, of educating people from across the world. And that has what, um, that's been what has kept me there um, for so long. It's kept you there. What, uh, you know, we often talk about the devastation of 1921 massacre, Mm -hmm. but we really don't dig enough into what it was like before the massacre. You know, that there were over 600 businesses down there, uh, all types of restaurants, hotels, motels, you name it, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, concert venues, uh, taxi cab services, and all that. Can you expound a little bit on on some of that that took place down there, some of the places, the names of some of the, those places, uh, what, Williams? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, we have a list of at least 300 Black-owned businesses that were housed in the Greenwood District prior to the massacre. And you're right, there's not enough that's known about that period um, in the Greenwood District history prior to the massacre, but we we. Uh, have photographs, and we do have some narrative about the Williams mm-hmm. family who owned several businesses, East End Garage. There were um, African Americans who owned vehicles, who owned really nice vehicles. Even so, airplanes, right? And airplanes, mm-hmm. oh, right? Mm-hmm. Simon Barry was a private pl- pilot who owned his own um, airplane, who partnered with JL Northington. Mm-hmm. Um, there that was my cousin. Really? Relative, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. That is awesome. <laughs> um, so, people like that, there were there was the small hotel. There were 
where cafes, um, let's see, some of the other businesses that come to mind, um, A.J. Smitherman and the Tulsa Star. Many people don't know much about him and his stance and his push to um, educate the African-American community to be a voice for the community, but encourage them to stand up, to encourage them to speak out and, and to be courageous during a time um, when it was thought that we didn't have that right to stand up and to speak for, to have our voices heard. Um, so A.J. Smitherman, um, I mean, the list just Go goes on, on, and on and on. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, let's just start with a little bit. All of that uh, prosperity was taking place. I mean, blacks were thriving. They even had some black millionaires down there. They, yes, they did. Yeah. And uh, even some blacks had fine china and yeah. uh, plumbing even in their house in the 20s, yeah. 21. And uh, all that economic development was at the height of black economic development of America, mm-hmm. this country at whole. But black Wall Street was it. Yeah. And that's where everybody came. I used to hear stories that uh, uh, Duke Ellington and, and Cab Calloway and all those guys would come down on Louis Black, Armstrong, Louis Armstrong yeah. and all those guys would come down to Black Wall Street, perform, do all kinds of things down in that way during a time when it was just prosper, uh, prospering. And when, uh, you know, those whites were jealous. Mm-hmm. They didn't like all of that. Right. You know, they really didn't like it. And uh, seeing all those blacks with everything, I mean, I would look at some of those pictures and uh, the guys had suits and ties on. The ladies had their <laughs> hair done and nice right. dresses and stuff. Nobody was slobbing. And, they, you know, right. they, they had respect for one another. Yeah. And, you know, hats and stuff on their heads. And it was just so unique. And then when I look at a, a, a city like Atlanta, mm-hmm. it was probably Bigger than Atlanta, you know, in its own way, yeah. in its own time frame, yeah. you know, and um, uh, we must not never forget, you know, that 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 we're standing on the shoulders of those people who yeah. paved the way for us That's right. to be where we're at today. Absolutely. So whenever I hear an African-American start talking about I did it on my own, I went to school, got my degree, they can do it too, I don't. Listen to that kind of garbage and that kind of mess. No, and I it, it reminds me of a conversation I heard um, from a local entrepreneur who said that, you know, I went online, I did my own research, I learned how to start my own business. Everyone should do the same thing. Everyone yeah, can do the same thing. Exactly. And and that is, um, it contrasts what our survivors have said about Black Wall Street and about how Black Wall Street was developed. What they said was that. When one person would get their business up and off the ground, they would grab the hand of their brother and sister or sister and pull them up alongside them. Mm-hmm. They shared information and knowledge and resources. They wanted to see everyone win. Prosper. They mm-hmm. wanted to see everyone prosper. That's mm-hmm. absolutely right. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's the the idea and the mentality and mindset that I think we have to get back to. And I believe that people are doing that. I you see more of that now. Yeah, I think that uh, because of since uh, George Floyd's situation took place, he really pushed it over the top. Yeah. And the main conversation that's going around right now is racism. Yeah. You know, everybody's talking about racism, you know, and uh, some people want to do some good things about it and 
make a difference. You got whites that want to make a difference. They they don't like what their ancestors did and Jim Crow and mm-hmm. all of that and how black people have been tra- uh, treated. Then you got the other side of white folks that feel like superior. They embrace uh, white supremacy and mm-hmm. you know and and white privilege and all. They embrace that, you know. And um, but I think the younger generation, yeah, it's that young generation who are not wanting to do with their ancestors and mothers and grandmas and them silver fox uh, white people did to us. Yeah. And they don't want, they don't embrace that because, Hey, a lot of them have black friends. Yeah. Go to school with black friends. They got black on their bas- basketball teams and football teams in their classrooms. And uh, they've embraced a lot of the black music. You know, the younger ones, I'm talking about mm-hmm. the young ones now. Yeah. Uh, the black culture, the hip hop thing, and all of that, and so they don't fit that narrative of that uh, racism type thing. And since George Floyd took place, um, it's brought some awareness to all of it because yeah. systematically they've been doing that's been happening for years. You know, he wasn't the first one that 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 happened to. No, you know, and um, they did that on Black Wall Street. You're know, in an abundance at one time. Yeah. You know, and it was uh, the first time that America got bombed was Black Wall Street. Mm-hmm. That was it. And many people still dispute that that even took place. But we know that that happened. We trust the oral histories that our survivors shared with us, the stories that they passed down. And when they say that they were bombed, um, and we know that at least one oil company here in Oklahoma allowed one of their planes to be used. Yeah, by we white know who riders. that was. I know who it was, and you know. So we mm-hmm. we know what the truth is, um, and we believe what our um, ancestors have said about what took place in the Greenwood District and just how horrific that experience was for them. It was. So tell us a little bit about how that massacre started, because you know the history, and I've said it before, but I'd like to hear you tell tell us a little bit how it got started. Well, Bobby, we can speak to the fact that while there was an incident in the elevator between Dick Rowland and Sarah Page, some type of confrontation between blacks and whites was inevitable. You talked about the jealousy, the envy um, that existed. Um, I spoke to um, uh, a white gentleman not long ago because people have been calling us wanting to speak anonymously. Mm -hmm. Um, I know you guys have been getting phone calls. Yeah. Yeah. And part of that, we asked for descendants of uh, the uh, victims of the massacre to to contact us. We want to identify descendants um, and get their stories as well. But we've also had some whites that have wanted to call and share their stories. Um, and they've mm, spoken, yeah. Mm-hmm. But they've spoken to this had a lot to do with whites being jealous. One gentleman said that you know, especially poor whites could look over into the Greenwood district and see this, these elegant hotels, African-Americans driving cars down the street. They saw how well they were dressed. They saw the um, thriving black owned business district Mm -hmm. and that made them upset and angry and mad. And then the presence of the Ku Klux Klan that were um, uh, prominent in just about every aspect of society. So many of our, Leaders, many of our city officials and police officers and firemen were on the roles of the Ku Klux Klan during that time. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have the presence of racism 
um, in Tulsa during that time. And then we know that there was some interest in the land. Initially, when African-Americans began to build their um, business district in that area, when O.W. Gurley first purchased that initial um, land that he then sold to other uh, blacks, um, initially the city of Tulsa wasn't um, interested. But as the city of Tulsa continued to uh, grow, at some point, um, uh, black um, homeowners and business business owners were approached and asked to sell their property um, and refused to do so. Following the massacre, they were again approached. Um, So we know that there are many different factors that led to the massacre that took place. But the incident that sparked the massacre was um, there was a young man named Dick Rowland. Dick Rowland was a shoeshine boy in um, downtown Tulsa. He would shine the shoes of rich white oil men coming into the Greenwood District. He had been given special permission to go into the um, Drexel building to get water and use the restroom. And every day he would go into the Drexel building, take the elevator up to the third floor where he was allowed to get water and use the restroom. And they say that kept him from having to come all the way back to the Greenwood District, go all the way back. Just to use the restroom. just Just to do that. And so... Every day he encountered this young white girl, Sarah Page. Sarah Page uh, was from Kansas City. (laughs) (laughs) I see that look on your face. Yeah, yeah, okay. Sarah Page, okay. Sarah Page. And, you know, Eddie Faye Gates was one of the first uh, people that I heard say in some of her interviews because she interviewed many um, survivors and residents um, years ago. uh, One of the first people people that I heard say that Dick Rowland and Sarah Page were actually lovers, that they mm-hmm. were actually... I heard that, that story yeah. so many times. Yeah, you know. that they were in a relationship. Um, what we do know is that on May 31st, Dick Rowland enters the elevator, as he did every single day. Um, the elevator doors closed, and uh, a moment or two later, there's a scream. When the elevator doors open, Dick Rowland... Um, runs, exits the building, and the uh, Tulsa World later publishes an article. There's a businessman working in the building, came running to see what had happened. Mm-hmm. And somewhere along the line, there, the Tulsa Tribune, I'm sorry, the Tulsa Tribune uh, publishes an article, Nad Negro for attacking Right, I girl. saw that. Now. Yeah. And that was all it took for whites to begin to um, gather um, as they did. It wasn't unusual for angry white rioters to gather in front of the courthouse slash jailhouse and um, demand that um, an inmate be released into to their custody. Demand that uh, they, they wanted to lynch him. They wanted they? to lynch him. Mm-hmm. The article in the Tulsa Tribune ended by saying, "Looks like there's going to be a lynching mm-hmm. in Tulsa." So I read it. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. um, whites began to gather angry and upset about what they believed had happened to this young, innocent white girl, Sarah Page. Um, and blacks, black, began to... there was a group of about 40 black men um, who, after some discussion in the community, decided they be- they knew Dick Rowland was innocent. innocent they yeah. believed he was and they, innocent. Some of them served in the military, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And they went there and they offered Sheriff McCullough, the new sheriff at the time, they offered to help protect Dick Rowland. Mm-hmm. 
And he told them to go on back to Greenwood, that he had everything under control, that Dick Rowland would be fine. And they did return to Greenwood. But as the number of white riders continued to grow, some estimates have is that there were thousands of white riders. Yeah, I heard about that. They came across those tracks, right? In front of the courthouse. In the courthouse. When blacks mm-hmm. came back, about 100 or so. And I just want um, people to appreciate the the courage that it took for 100 or so black men who were veterans, many of them who were armed to, as they're approaching the courthouse to see several thousand white riders who some of which are also armed and to continue to push forward to knowing that they're risking their lives Mm -hmm. to help protect Dick Rowland. Yeah. And at that particular time, um, I understand that um, one of the white rioters said what you going to do with that gun, N-word, yes. you know? And um, he said, I'm going to protect myself mm-hmm. if I have to. And he grabbed it, mm-hmm. and a shot was fired. Yes. And once that shot was fired, there you go. There you go. Mm-hmm. It was no longer about Dick Rowland and Sarah Page. Not at all. No. No. There was an all-out initial battle in front of the courthouse. Blacks retreated to the Greenwood District where they were able to position themselves in some strategic locations uh, above Mount um, Zion Baptist Church, above mm-hmm. Sandpipe Hill. And some of the depictions of the massacre that we've seen so many times show African-Americans running for their lives. It doesn't depict the African-Americans that were standing there. Defending themselves. Defending themselves, mm-hmm. armed, mm-hmm. protecting their community, protecting right. their homes and their businesses. It doesn't show how... They fought to protect their community and mm-hmm. how many people will say that um, that they were before the National Guard came in, that African-Americans were um, were defending the Greenwood District. Mm-hmm. Eventually, though, because they were so outnumbered and outgunned, white the, rioters were deputized, joined by a predominantly white police force. Um, anybody. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. You know, and as they infiltrated the Greenwood District. Then dominance took over. Absolutely. And they burned the buildings, uh, the airplanes that they did have. They dropped uh, gasoline bombs on, on the community, and Little Africa was on fire. Yeah. You know, on fire, burning down, yeah. and a lot of people lost their lives. Probably more than they say. Absolutely. You know, they say I hear the numbers like three hundred people. Mm-hmm. I just can't go with that. You know. Because I know a lot of those bodies probably uh, were buried right there on the spot or wherever they're at and dumped in the river and, yes. you know, in, in cemeteries and stuff around the city. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, so uh, some of that story that you, that you're, you talked about, and I've seen some of the documentaries and some of the stuff that people are trying to record, and some of it is kind of shaky. Yeah. I got to say that some of it's kind of shaky. They, like you say, they just show black people just running, scared as heck, you know, just running, 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 running. Some of them black men was there standing there with some guns and them rifles firing back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. Yeah. The entire population uh, of the black community at that time was 10 to 12,000 men, women, and children. We know about 6,000 were held in the three internment camps that they set up. So that left four to 6,000 people unaccounted for. And we know that some people were able to 
um, to flee before being captured and taken to those mm-hmm. um, internment sites before being murdered. But we don't know how many of those people were buried in mass graves, as, as you said, were dumped in the Arkansas River. That's true. There, there's just no way of knowing, which is why the mass grave investigation is so important. Um, and I'm so glad to see that we have made progress um, and that they are actually excavating at Oakland Cemetery now. They have two other sites that they're going to do. But we believe the number is much higher I, I than 300 I definitely people. believe that, you know. Was how, and after the devastation and they burned it down, blacks came back up there and rebuilt. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They rebuilt it, you know, and uh, there was businesses up in there and all down. And see, a lot of people don't understand that Greenwood went straight all the way down to Pine. Mm-hmm. It didn't curve. It didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. It just went straight all the way down from from Greenwood and Archer straight ahead. Yeah. You know, straight shot. But now things have changed because um, uh, I believe Tulsa tried to actually erase our history. Yeah. You know, once they ran the freeway through there. You know, that's a little part, and it's left us a little bitty small section yeah. of Greenwood. And uh, OSU came in, and mm-hmm. ooh, all them big, what's what, T-Bone Pickens money or whatever, <laughs> you know, and all that money and stuff that came down there. And and it then they bought, built the housing, addition, you know, heritage mm-hmm. and all of that, and it's erased. Yeah. Urban... Renewal, which is urban removal, yeah, and we talk about that all the time. Urban removal came down and and took away a whole lot of that history and stuff like that. You know, in other communities, they're able to go in and rebuild, replace the windows and stuff like that in those old buildings and restore. And it's so often that we as a people, we just allow stuff to happen, yeah. you know, without a protest or anything uh, in reference to any of that. And we just allow it to happen. And we got to letting people do anything to us. And okay, all right, they're building this, they're building that. And we don't even know what they're building. Yeah. You know? And, and we just do not have enough documentation um, of the Greenwood District, you know, during the 40s, the 50s, exactly. 60s, the 70s. There are just so few photographs that exist, so few stories. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's so important that we share our history um, and our stories with uh, mm-hmm. with our children and grandchildren, so that our legacy, so that our our history continues. Yeah, so the history can, and we have to pass that down because it's so often that um, I think our children need to know. Yeah. Now I understand. Now correct me if I'm wrong that the school system have implemented that history into the Tulsa public schools, mm-hmm. so they will grow up learning about this devastation that took place, mm-hmm. but it's um, their parents and the parents before their parents who missed out on a whole lot of that education, Yeah, you know, and uh, they need to do some research and learn about it. You know, so when their kids learn about it, they can talk about it. Absolutely. You know, because, yeah. and we don't know how much they're actually going to be taught. Yeah. In the public and how school. it's going to be taught. Thank you. Mm-hmm. How, how how is going to be taught? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's important for them to hear the stories of people like yourself are mm-hmm. and my um, parents like generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that they to can know hear, the truth to know the truth. Yeah, you know because if you don't tell the truth and you fabricate a story, it won't be they won't know. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, I heard it was like this. No, it was like that. Yeah. And that's the truth. Okay. Well, they're teaching us a little bit different. Yeah. You know? We can't rely on textbooks alone. No, you can't. Um, to teach us about our history because for traditionally speaking, we haven't been the people writing the textbooks or no. deciding what history was going to be included in the mm-hmm. textbooks. Mm-hmm. So it seems so often all we learned about black history, it seemed our, our history started with slavery. Yeah. It, like we, all of a sudden we appeared and we were slaves and that's where black history lessons began. Um, and then there's the civil rights movement, you know, but even about, even any of that slavery and civil rights and all, it's not always told the right way. Yeah. You know, because um, one thing that I understand, and I came up in during the civil rights movement, my dad and Homer Johnson and all of them was in the civil rights movement of Tulsa. Yeah. You know, Don Ross, you name them. Them iconic men were together. And they formulated in the barbershop, which is right adjacent next door to us. And I came up and I remember protesting. Yeah. Walking with signs, protesting uh, school board, protesting just different stuff. I'm a little guy. But, uh, you know, one thing that I, I understand is that you have to fight for what you believe in. Yeah. And if you don't believe in it, you're not going to fight. Yeah. You know, for the struggle. And we're so systematically controlled. Yeah. And we and some of us don't even understand we're systematically controlled because we think that we can es- escape today Move next door to Mr. Uh, Heisenmeyer, you know, <laughs> next door to Mr. You know, Hausmeyer, and we've escaped, mm-hmm. but we haven't escaped. You may be able to live next door to him, but there's still some some regulations and some hatred that may go on, yeah. you know, in that particular area. And he's smiling at you, but hating you deep down inside. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bobby, what would you say that? Those uh, leaders like Don Ross and Homer Johnson and your dad, and I ho- I know Don Ross quite well. Mm-hmm. I don't know Homer Johnson, but I've heard so many stories mm-hmm. about him. Mm-hmm. Um, what could those men um, and women that were fighting alongside oh, for him sure. at the time? The Shirley Scoggins and uh, Mabel Rice's and all yeah. them as well. Yeah. What could they share with the younger generation who want to fight, um, who are passionate and have the energy and the drive, what wisdom do you think they could share with them? They could probably share what they had to go through in order to fight for civil rights. Because I remember being a young man, they were going like to Borden's cafeteria up in Northland and protesting at restaurant because they wouldn't allow blacks to come in there and even eat a meal, you know? And so, um, and the blacks that they did have employed there were dishwashers and stuff in the back and things mm-hmm. like that. And uh, they would go up there and protest. And, you know, my dad used to get locked up and go to jail. He was the first African-American to get locked up up there going to jail. Him and all of them, Don Ross, Bernard McIntyre, yeah. you name a Homer Johnson, uh, they were they were deemed as radical men, wow. you know. Uh, and, uh, I, and I still think that... Um, uh, we need to sometime, somewhere, uh, give them some type of recognition mm-hmm. because we're standing on their shoulders. Yeah. You know, because if they hadn't did certain things in our community around here, we probably wouldn't have certain things. So, yeah. uh, uh, but.
But those men were strategic in what they're doing. I remember they used to be in the barbershop, and when the barbershop closed, they were still there, strategically wow. planning and talking it out and what we're going to do and when we're going to do it and how, you know, how we're going to do it. Yeah. And it was during a time when those those kind of men could put out fires in the community without even having to call the police. Wow. You know, they could just find out something was going on down the street or somewhere in the neighborhood, talk about it and go over there and handle it, you know, and don't even have to call the police. And if you did call the police, the policemen lived in the community. Mm-hmm. We knew who they were, mm-hmm. you know, Hey, what's going on, man? You, what's <laughs> going on? So-and-so they're riding down the street. You knew who they were. Yeah. And the ministers would be out in the community. Reverend Chappelle, Reverend Webb, Reverend Wa- uh, Robertson, you know, list goes on and on and on. They were approachable. You could touch them. Yeah. You didn't have to make an appointment to go see them. Yeah. It wasn't, uh, wasn't a bunch of gatekeepers within uh, the church. <laughs> you know, you could catch them at a restaurant, Wanda J's or something, sitting up eating and, you know, talking and stuff. So we got to get back to that Black Wall Street way of life and, and get this information of history. Yeah. Because if you don't know who you are, how can you know where to go? Absolutely. You know, where to go. So, and uh, that's why it's so important I got you on the show because I know you got a lot of that history and you hear it all the time. You know, they come up in, a lot of people from out of town, they come to the cultural center. Mm -hmm. That's one of the first places they come in. And you're right in there asking these questions. Well, how did it get started? Where did it get started? Was this it? You know, and you got to tell those stories, right? Yeah. And, well, we're all telling the history. Yeah, we're yeah, all telling know? the history. And it's mm-hmm. it's um, it's powerful to see so many more people that are coming forward to share this history and to tell the story and to do uh, to do the work. And but yeah, people come to the Greenville Cultural Center. They want to learn about it. They're eager to learn about this history. And, you know, they, they're often angry because they can't believe that they've never heard about this history before, that they've never been taught. It's like a first-time shock. It's a first-time shock. And, mm-hmm. um, and then they want to know, okay, where, can I, where, can, where else can we go? What else is there? What else can we visit? What else can we do while we're here in Tulsa? And so um, – What do you tell them? Well, we tell them about the businesses that are there on Greenwood, but we definitely tell them about the uh, restaurants that are here. Um, in and the, the community very few places, and stuff. And, yeah, yeah, in the community. Because they want to be in the community. They want to know where are our folks at? You know, where can mm-hmm. we go? And for a long time, it didn't seem that we had a lot to tell them. You where know? to go, huh? Where to go. Yeah. But I think that that's, that's definitely changing. More um, shops and restaurants and stores and businesses are open, mm-hmm. opening. And so we are seeing this redevelopment and this renaissance and um, this entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial spirit um, that seems to be being revived at the moment. A mm-hmm. uh, little bit more traffic starting to take place down that, around that way. Definitely. I think, I think if we can gain more um, restaurants and nightlife and things like that, yeah. more people would show up because after 6 o'clock, 6.30, 7 o'clock, everything closes up. Yeah. There's nothing down there to go down there too. Yeah. So we got to create some kind of uh, ambiance or some kind of scene where it's going to draw people down on Greenwood. And mainly, it'd probably be a lot of younger people yeah. coming down there during those time time of the night. 
And then again, you know, you got uh, Wanda J's Next Generation down there. Yeah. You got um, what are the other black establishments? Uh, black Wall Street Liquid Lounge is now down yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. That's, <laughs> you know, yeah. That I got to throw nice. that. It's nice too. Yeah. You know, down there. And, uh, they've got a few places down the lefties on the corner, you know, mm-hmm. but it's not black owned, but, no. you know. But we get we do we need to support our black businesses. Yeah. And then you know stuff like that. You know I understand that. Uh, uh, you got a few places. Oh, you got uh, Rose Tax Services and Tories, uh Beauty Blowout mm-hmm. and uh, Black Wall Street Tees across the street. Yeah, there's and, a new lock shop. I heard. Yeah, lock there. shop where you can get dreads and stuff like that done down there and. Uh, just a few places down off in there. Yeah, you know, silhouette. The, the silhouette. Yeah. The pillar group. Yeah. You know, Donnie Horner and and uh, uh, they're down there. So. Yeah. 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 Silhouette. Yeah. I'm definitely not the person to ask about nightlife. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going. Not me either. <laughs> I, I think I've graduated. You know, yeah. From it. Yeah. You know, but uh, it, it is what it is. But we do want to promote that. And yeah, and, we do. And we want to share that information and tell people where they can go and you have know, fun. And enjoy wouldn't it stuff. be a nice if you could just go down and nice jazz club or something, comedy yeah. or something down there, everybody feeling good, AC working right, <laughs> you know what I mean, and everything is good. And yeah. even doing happy hour times during the day, like right now, you could go down and enjoy yourself. Yeah. You don't have to stay out late at night. Right. You know, come in. You don't have to get out and be there by 10. Yeah. You can be there by 4.30. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 5 o'clock, you could be there. Yeah. You know, it would be nice to have some some things like that taking place. To add a little bit more atmosphere and, and stuff. And bring us out of our, well, I think some a lot of us are in a depressive state of mind. Yeah. Here in our community of uh, District 1, North Tulsa. Mm-hmm. Because of the fact there are no outlets and things to do like it once were. Here in mm-hmm. North Tulsa, I remember in North Tulsa, you didn't have to go nowhere because everything was here. When I was coming up, they had restaurants, uh, all kinds of, you know, a couple of movie theaters, grocery stores everywhere. Wow. You know, uh, uh, nightclubs, uh, 15, 20 of them. It was just everything because we were playing them. You know, yeah. Me and Charlie Wilson and all of us were playing in those clubs. And uh, taxi cab service. You just name it. It was here. Clothing stores, uh, meat places, Banfield Meats. and I remember Banfield. Yeah, all of those places were over here. You had a lot of economic development and black businesses. Yeah. You know, but as, and we had a skating rink. We had a skating rink. Right? Oh, we had a record store. Yeah. We had skating rinks. We had all that kind of stuff. It was there. We had up on the hill over there where Westview Clinic was called the Blue Moon Hill. Mm-hmm. And that particular hill had a whole lot of uh, uh, entertainment. You come through there. You had an indoor situation, you know, and then you had an outdoor situation, you know, and so that was going on over there. Okay, great. Somebody trying to peep through the through the deal right there. <laughs> yeah, so we had all of that. We had all of that going on, you know, so it's all good. Well, look here, we're going to take a little break here on the Bobby Eaton Show where we tell our stories our way. And uh, we're going to come right back. Michelle Brown is in the house from the Greenwood Cultural Center. And we'll be right back. So you guys stick around. Tell a family member, tell a friend. Dial 918-856-3873. And uh, we'll be right back. Thank you. 
Yeah, you dropped a bomb on me. Hey, we're on KBOB 89.9 FM, and you, we're also live streaming, you guys. want to introduce you to our live stream, which is KBOB899.com. You know, you can go there, live stream 24-7. You know, we tell our stories our way. We got a listing of various different shows that come on during the week. Uh, we got my show, of course, Bobby Eaton Show. And we got the late Valley Vale show, morning show, that comes on uh, at 7 a.m. Uh, they've decided to continue that show. Uh, also on Mondays, we got uh, the Business Hustle with Charity Marcus and Tyrants Billingsley. They come on. And uh, on, what is it, Tuesday evening, 6 p.m., Two Dog Sports Talk. Two dogs. They be barking. <laughs> And all of that, you know, they be talking about sports. You know, brothers like to, and some sisters like to talk about sports on Tuesday, 6 p.m. Uh, Wednesday, uh, it is World One Development with Charles Harper and Damali Wilson. They come in here every Wednesday, news you can use. And um, that's Wednesdays at 1 o'clock. And on Thursdays, it's Real Life, Real Talk with Prima Donna Braddock and Jennifer Brown. They come in here on Thursdays. And Thursday night, it's the Juice Radio Show. People are always asking me, hey, Bobby, what's this Juice Radio Show? Juice Radio Show, young, youthful people from various high schools and a couple of colleges or something like that come in here every Thursday. They've been doing it for three and a half, four years now. And they come in here every Thursday night. And they do radio their way, you know, from a young people's perspective. And they're teaching me some stuff. So I'm an old man learning something, you know, from the young people. And speaking of the juice, we took them to Atlanta, Georgia. You know, we uh, got all piled up in a passenger van and went there. And we stopped in um, Memphis, Tennessee at the Lorraine Hotel where Dr. King got assassinated. Took them on that little tour of that. Then we left there and we went to Atlanta. Now, upon arriving at Atlanta, we stayed in a beautiful Airbnb, three-story leather furnitures and all that stuff. So it was good. And uh, those young people uh, got a chance to stay in comfort. And then we took a tour of uh, CNN. CNN, you know, we took a tour to CNN. You know, they got the regular tour, but we took the um, intricate tour. Behind the scenes to it, they gave us. I got a friend who uh, works for CNN, and she says, "Look here, uh, we they got that public tour, but we gonna give y'all that inside tour." Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, so they did that, and uh, we went inside the guts of CNN around the producers, and we got to see all of that stuff. And then we left there, 
and we went to Radio One, mm-hmm. you know, Ricky Smiley show. Yeah. You know, and all those different radio broadcasts in Atlanta. And we was all up. I was sitting in Ricky Smiley's seat and all that and talking. And, you know, we were just having a good time. And um, we left there and we went to the Tyler Perry Studios and went around there. And uh, then we left there and we, we our feet were killing us. Now, yeah. what was Tyler Perry Studios like? Well, it is a, he bought that property as a Confederate property that okay. he purchased, you know, and uh, they have all of these sound stages named after various different people. Okay. And uh, it's just unique and within its own way, the way it's set up, you know, and uh, you, you just kind of walk through and go through and see this and see that. And wow, it was yeah. interesting, you know, to be able to to uh, witness that and be yeah. there to, on that. And we took pictures and photos and all of that. And um, we we did Tyler Perry. And then all of a sudden we did the King Center mm. up there where Martin was his center and where he was born. We went by his house. Wow. You know, and uh, so we did all this educational stuff and all of this tours. And then they got what they call the Atlanta hip hop tours, hip hop tours. So they're young people. Yeah. They wanted they wanted to find out what's going on. So T.I. has what they call a trap museum. Really? And yeah. It's a I trap. It's that. a museum. And uh, it has all of these rappers' pictures and artifacts and stuff up inside this museum. It's like, wow, I was, I was the oldest man up in there. And I was walking through there and looking at all that. He got a simulated jail cell, you know, and he's got uh, all kinds of pictures from the rappers back in the day. Yeah. The cool modes and the uh uh Sugar Hill gang. Yeah. All the way up to Lil Wayne and all the way up to Drake and all of these, you know, today wow. artists all in house in some type of building. It was packed full of people off in there. So we went through that and then we went into the East Atlanta neighborhood where uh, Big Boy and Andre 3000 and all them recorded in a house. They called it the Dungeon. Mm. And the Dungeon was a house where a recording studio used to be in the basement. And that's where they started. Mariah Carey would come through there and other people would come through there. And this place called a Dungeon. So we got a chance to go by there. But it was such a great tour. And, you know, we had a little incident take place while we were there. You know, our van got broke and broken into. But, you know, it's okay. Even that, our spirits were high. Yeah. And it was a trip of a lifetime for those young people. Yes, it was. Yeah. And so we um, we decided to um, do even more. You know, we're going to do even more. We were scheduled to go to the Breakfast Club uh, uh, this year up in New York, but covid kind of put a damp and, you know, kind of knock that out the way, like it's done so many other things for us. So many things. And we're just trying to live with it, you know. Life as we once knew it won't be the same. No. You know, so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was awesome. I think we're all trying to adjust to this new way of life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know uh, we just reopened our doors July 1st, and um, it's, it's been difficult because we you know, there were so many events scheduled to take place, so many activities that just had to be canceled, canceled or, mm-hmm. or postponed. And so, um, and we're still not out of the woods. I mean, there are more cases um, today, the past few days, we're growing. setting new records. Um, it's growing. Yeah. So. 
And that is sad that uh, those cases are. Uh, I heard Florida has more cases than a whole lot of countries. Just wow. Florida within itself. Because Spike in Florida, Texas, Arizona, California, you know, those have. I think we just kind of tried to go back too fast. Yeah, I do too. That's what I think. We tried to go back too fast. Mm-hmm. After everything was shut down, we should have been shut down right now. Mm-hmm. And still going until this this pandemic can go away. Yeah. But I don't know if it'll ever go away because they are, they're saying you can have COVID and not even know it. Not even have those kind of symptoms. Yeah. So testing is the main thing, being right. able to be tested and wearing masks. Mm-hmm. You know, wearing those masks to prevent the COVID, you know, so. Yeah, it's it's inconvenient and it's uncomfortable at times to wear a mask. Oh, it is. I got one in my pocket right now. So <laughs> I can't even talk on the radio with one. I don't know how you're doing. Yeah. You're you superwoman, so. Oh, but, my goodness. But mm-hmm. if there's even the chance that this could prevent um, the illness, prevent you from becoming ill, prevent right. you from spreading it to someone else, um, then why not? Why wouldn't you yeah. uh, opt Pre- to wear a mask? Yeah, to prevent yourself. And yeah. I was I tripped out when I saw, after all that talk and rigor, I seen President Trump with a mask on. I'm like, man, get out of here. After you know, being here. After being here. With, and, uh, yeah. It wasn't that, that was that was too much, wasn't it? Yeah. Trying yeah. all those people who refused to wear many, of which refused to wear a mask. Yeah. Um. Cranked our numbers up. Cranked our numbers up, despite what people mm-hmm. are saying. Oh no, it wasn't because of the um, the Trump rally. But come on, you've got six thousand people. Or so yeah, without masks. And a lot of his aides got, got they got it too. Yeah. You know, and he was furious and mad because of the turnout. TikTok got to him, didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they bought up all those tickets and stuff. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I love it. You know. Yeah. But uh, how do you feel about this next presidential election that's going to take place between Trump and Biden? What are your thoughts? Uh, I'm just so ready for it to be over. I just can't imagine that there's any way in hell that Trump could be reelected. Uh, re-elected. No possible way. Um, and so I don't know if um, Biden would have been um, my pick, but Anybody but Trump. Anybody but him. Anybody but Trump. Um, And just ready to get to, Lord, can we just make it to November? So make it to the voting um, booth so that we can vote and have our voices heard. But I think that there um, are many more people who really see Trump for who he is Mm -hmm. and see how destructive and divisive he has been for this country. Mm -hmm. And they're ready um, to move forward in a different direction and... um, and kick him out of his seat. He needs to go. Yeah. He's uh, been very disruptive and said a lot of bad things about a lot of people. I mean, he called Maxine Waters low IQ. Uh, he said something about LeBron. I forgot what he said about LeBron, but he said something negative. He called uh, uh, Africa and countries like that, asshole company, uh, countries. Mm-hmm. He grabbed them in the pee, you know, uh, he called even his own buddy Omarosa a dog, you know, and then he separated a lot of Latinos from their children. 
he's done some terrible things right here and said some bad things about there were both uh, there were good people on both sides. You know, this how can you be racist and all that and be a good person? Just unbelievable you know, and awful. I, yeah, I truly believe that many people did not uh, realize that he was as racist as, as he was, and perhaps and he that, claims he's not racist. Well, I think they thought it, that he would be able to hide it a little bit better, mm-hmm. but um, he's one of those people that can't hide it. Yeah, he can't. Uh, no, he he just can't hide. But it. you know what? I can see. This is what I can say about Trump. He brought some awareness to a lot of us. He brought that to it. That pimple to a head and burst it. Now we kind of like looking at him like, whoa, we got work to do. You know, we got things to do. He did bring that to the head. Yeah. And even though I don't care for him and don't, you know, whatever, he brought attention because during the time when Obama and Michelle were in office, you know, we were comfortable. We would kick back, kind of laid back, and, you know, party at the White House. You know what I mean? <laughs> Black man party at the White House. And that was that was pretty good because we had Earth, Wind, and Fire was there, and I had all kind of people coming up in there, and they was having a party. Yeah. And we watched his children grow up right there, become yeah. young women and ladies, and the dogs, Bo, and all of those stuff like that. But he had his hands tied yeah. to where he couldn't really – they. Anything that he would say, they knock it down. Absolutely. And uh, but now that this fool is in office, I'm gonna call him a fool. Yeah. You know because some of you guys out there listening voted for him, and um, you can see. <laughs> you mean, yeah. You can see for yourself. Yeah. Some of them are actually embarrassed because they did vote for him. I hear that. Mm-hmm. You know, I've heard people say. Oh, they didn't know it was gonna turn out. He was gonna turn out like they this. They didn't know that it would be that he would he was actually this way that it would be such um uh, his presidency would just be such a travesty and be such an embarrassment and would divide our country the way that it has and i think their voices will be heard at the polls so perhaps they do not feel comfortable stating that they are not going to to vote for trump but i think when they appear in the when they go to vote that they're going to show that he has lost so much support um He's lost a lot of support, which is one of the reasons why I think TikTok contributed to him not having um, thousands and thousands of people. But I think the truth is, too, that he's lost a lot of supporters along the way. Yeah, he's lost a ton of supporters. Uh, and the polling that they're showing right now is that uh, Biden is ahead right, right now at yeah. this particular time of him. Yeah. You know, if he could win those delegate states, you know, who have uh, those right there, then. We can get him out of there. Yeah. And he needs to go. Yeah. He and his whole party needs to go. Well, anyone who says that they are against racism, um, there's no way you can be against racism um, and vote for Trump. Yeah. I don't understand. You have some that say they're against it and still vote for him. I don't understand that as well. Mm-hmm. My thing is this. If we as African-American people are only 14% of the United States of America, only 14%. We have to be in a position to vote because I think that we decide who gets in office. Yeah. That 14%, you know, so you have to have that black vote behind you, you know, to get elected as a president or something. So we get out and vote against Trump. Listen, you guys, if you get out and vote against Trump, there's a good chance we can get him out of there. Yeah. But if we don't vote, 
the chances are going to be slim. That's right. Please do not think that your vote Don't does, count. doesn't count. And some of us feel that way. Oh, oh yeah. they're going to do what they want to do. Yeah. Do you realize that a price was paid so you could even have that option to vote? Yeah. It was a time when women couldn't even vote at all. Absolutely. And now, and sure enough, black people couldn't vote. You know, so now that you're able to vote and cast that vote, register to vote, uh, you know, for the local election, you only have until the 31st of this month mm-hmm. to register to vote. So go out. You can go online, mm-hmm. you know, and vote. You can uh, register online. Yeah. And go out and do that. I mean, it's it's necessary. Absolutely. And you said that um, you are a resource. You mm-hmm. know about everything and know some of everyone. So people can contact you. People can ta- contact me at the Green Right, Center. exactly. If you have questions, don't let that be an obstacle. Because yeah. you're right, it's important that we vote, no matter who you vote for, it's important that you, you get up and you make an effort and you go to the polls and vote. You do. And, you know, before you vote, investigate what's on the ballot. Yeah. I, it is so often that African Americans will go in and vote. Okay, I know this person. I know that person. They vote for them. But when it gets to the propositions 802 or uh, 375, mm-hmm. they don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. And you could be checking the wrong box. Yeah. So investigate what you're voting on. Yeah. If you, and if you don't know what to vote on, don't vote on nothing. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you just don't know, don't just check check no box for the hell of it. You, know, you, you could be putting yourself in prison or something. You know, don't even, you know, even know. So you got to investigate and know what you're voting for yeah. you know, before you vote. You know, and that's what I do. You know, before I, even if I don't know what it is, I'll ask or look it up online and read. Oh, this is proposition. So, oh, I'm going to vote this way because mm-hmm. I don't want to vote that way. Yeah. And that's what we got to do. Yeah. Got to do. And uh, that's the Black Wall Street way. Yeah. Now, those people down there on Black Wall Street, are our ancestors and stuff like that, unified, and they got together. They had a lot of their own stuff, you know, and um, uh, systematically controlled. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't. We had black banks down there, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Black banks and black this and that, so the black money stayed. You know, and I, I was I was told that um, if you were building a house, Michelle, and had a husband, and he was out there building on that house, that the community would come and build, help you build your house. Yeah. And wouldn't even ask you for a dime. Yeah. Just to just to know that they participated, and when they got through building your house, they come over and help me build mine. Yeah. And that's it. Went just like that. That. Black dollar went around in the community thirty times, flip you know back and you know and it came back to you, mm-hmm. you know and everybody helped each other. Right. There was a lot of helping going on on Black Wall Street. A lot of brotherhood, a lot of mm-hmm. brotherly love, mm-hmm. um, and I think that sense of community, uh, that just that sense of community, that sense of wanting to see people. Um, prosper and, and thrive and um, like you said wanting to help and assist and I, I of course don't remember Black Wall Street I don't even really remember the Greenwood District mm-hmm. um, when I was young but I do remember um, instances where our community came together our little neighborhood came together mm-hmm. when my dad um, became ill um, when I was pretty young, I remember people in the community coming by to see after him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Coming by to bring food, coming 
by to check on my mom and mm-hmm. my siblings and offering to help, seeing what they could do, offering to sit with them, talk to mm-hmm. them, just check on them. Yeah. And so it's beautiful to see us respond to each other that way with such love and compassion. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was great because, you know, I was a young man and I got a chance. I got a chance to be blessed to go down on Greenwood. Yeah. During the latter part of Greenwood, uh, we would go to the Rex Theater. You know, watch movies and stuff, buy candies and pickles and cookies and stuff at the stores. Uh, Bell's Barbecue was down there. Uh, the Brickyard, King Park, Swim in the Pool. All of that was going down there, and I got the last of it. Yeah. You know, we passed by Big Ben McKinney's Taylor Shop and all of that. And he'd be, hey, old bonehead boy. You know what <laughs> I mean? And all that kind of stuff. I'm going to, you know, you better not cut up because my grandfather cut his hair. You know, and um, all of that, you know, and it took a village to raise a child yeah. and the village did. And you had respect. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. That's right. You know, and there wasn't no foolishness going on and just total respect for one another. You yeah. had fun. You enjoyed yourself. And as a child coming up in the community, you wouldn't interrupt adults when they were talking. To step in there and say stuff. Oh know. yeah. Oh well, well. We definitely remember. Yeah. Remember that. Yeah. Um, more discipline. More discipline, and it seemed that you, your entire neighborhood, could parent you. You know, oh, everyone. Oh, well, definitely. Everyone was looking out for you. Uh, everyone um, cared about your well, your well-being, and so no, it just wasn't. Um, we just didn't disrespect our teachers. We didn't re- disrespect our elders. We didn't disrespect. Um, disrespect nobody. Nobody. You know, nobody. And um, they could do that. And and if the elders got sick, say your grandmother or your your aunt or your mother, anybody got sick. You, when I was coming up, you could have Miss Johnson down the street bringing a pot of greens. Yeah. And baby, don't wake him up. You know, just you know, here, just put this on the stove. And then here yeah. come Miss Johnson with some cornbread. You know, you had a whole meal and stuff. They would help each other yeah. back in those days. You know, and. Um, that support was just there. Yeah. You know, so it was, whew, it was all, it was what they say, on and popping now. On and popping. Is, is, that, is that what they say today? It was on and popping. On and popping. So, yeah. yeah, Black Wall Street, you know, way to do what we're doing. We're going to take another little break and we're going to come right back. Michelle Brown is in the house and uh, we'll be right back. Get back. Pay back. 
What's up, y'all? This is Charlie Wilson, and you listen to 89.9 FM, Bobby Eaton Show. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Lester Trotman. And when we in Tulsa, Oklahoma, we always listen to. If your credit starts with a three, four, five, or six, this is for you. Did you know that it's costing you to have bad credit? You can't get qualified for that house or apartment and you're paying high interest rates, along with paying high car insurance, and it may be costing you that job that you really want. What are you waiting on? Take more of a holistic approach. Pick up the phone and call the Credit Shiro at 832-642-1554 or text CAMP to 76626. With 13 amazing services, we restore and repair generations to come. Once again, Call the Credit Shiro at 832-642-1554 or text CAMP to 76626. If you know better, you do better. Only the Credit Shiro can help you to save the day. If your credit starts with a 3, 4, 5, or 6, this is for you. Did you know that it's costing you to have bad credit? You can't get qualified for that house or apartment and you're paying high interest rates, along with paying high Hey, it's Alfre Woodard. When I'm in Tulsa, I keep it on K-Bob. That's how I find out what's really happening. KBOB 89.9 FM. Thanks for tuning in today. The views and opinions discussed on this show solely belong to the His and Her Living the Dream show and do not reflect KBOB or the Dream Center. All right. Hey, we're back here on KBOB. A couple of little technical difficulties, but we're going to be fine. So we're in here with uh, Michelle Brown of the Greenwood Cultural Center. And we've been talking about a whole lot of stuff here in reference to uh, Black Wall Street. And we want you guys to always keep in mind that we're here every Monday, Wednesday, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. And on Saturdays from 12 to 2 p.m., that's the Bobby Eaton Show, where we tell our stories our way. And, uh, Michelle, we were talking about, what do you think were some of the hot, I'm trying to figure out what were the real good highlights of Black Wall Street when they were really prospering and doing things and smiles were on people's faces. Can you see people walking up and down the street just kind of happy, you know, and all that? I heard that the the band, Booger T. Washington, all that would march down the streets and on the games and stuff on game day and everybody, the whole black community would come down there and so much going on. I think that's one of the uh, pictures that we have on display at the Greenwood Cultural Center. It shows the marching band um, marching uh, through Greenwood. And I often think of uh, Thursday, um, which was uh, made day off early on 
in the history of the Greenwood the District. Amazed they are. Yeah. Yeah. Tell them what surgeons, yeah. right? And so they say that the young ladies would um, spend the afternoon getting their uh, hair done. The men would dress in their finest apparel. And I've heard the story of uh, homes like the Mabel B. Little Heritage House that belonged to Sam and Lucy Mackey mm-hmm. along the Greenwood District. And that home in itself is a beautiful home and it gives you an example of how some African Americans were able to live during that time period. But even the home that they had prior to the massacre was beautiful. Mm-hmm. And there's photographs of the, the home on display. But from the second story, uh they say that the young ladies would stand in the uh windows and wave at the parade of black people who would be walking up and down Greenwood, all dressed in their final apparel, going to the various restaurants and there were jazz clubs and blues clubs mm-hmm. and just music playing in the streets and everyone was happy. I envision it being like a Juneteenth celebration every Thursday evening with people going down on Greenwood mm-hmm. to have a good time and enjoy each other. Could you imagine that? How much fun and people respect and stuff that everybody had. Yeah. You know, during those days and during that time. Yeah. Yeah. I think one reason when the massacre took place, uh, I think reason it wasn't taught because they didn't want it to reoccur. Yeah. A lot. That's some of the stories I've heard. They didn't want, they didn't want to bring it up and talk about it because, you know, it could happen again. You know, I don't know. What what do you think? I agree. I agree that they were, they had to have felt. um, So they protected their families and stuff. Yeah. Um, and just the not knowing what would happen, um, and they rebuilt despite all of that. And when one of the other things that they said, as well as that, when they returned to the Greenwood District and saw that everything that they had worked so hard for had been completely destroyed, that they focused on surviving. They focused on moving forward. They focused on rebuilding. North Tulsa. North Tulsa had more churches than all of Tulsa combined, Mm -hmm. and they had a strong foundation in their faith. And they decided almost as a community that they were simply going to move forward, put this in God's hands, put this behind them, and move forward. One of the things that some of the survivors have said is that to talk about it meant that they had to relive it. And it was simply too painful to relive. It was too painful to talk about. Yeah, painful. Because you just didn't hear it. Coming up as a young man or a young lady, you didn't hear anybody talk about it. Yeah. You know, and some people discovered it um, uh, when they went off to school in other places. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they heard people would ask him, what about that, you know, that street where they destroyed all those black people? What are you talking about? Ain't, ain't nobody destroyed nobody down there. Yeah. And then they find out for themselves it was a massacre that took place. Yeah. You know. I've heard that. Now, Don Ross has talked about a few teachers at Booker T. Washington's high school that uh, would talk about it. He said that he first heard about it. They would talk about it? That someone, an educator at Booker T. Mm -hmm. told him about it, but he called him a liar and said, there's no way that that happened. And no one told me about it. But once he began to go and speak to his elders and research, he found that it was true. It was true. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, America's best kept secret. 
That's what it was. United yeah. States best kept secret. Yeah. And they kept it for years. Mm-hmm. And now it's resurfacing. And we know we're in the process of right now, uh, they're digging up graves and mm-hmm. looking for bodies. Right. You know, they're in search of bodies. And um, um, they've been keeping that up on hush hush for years. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was actually, it's actual murder. You know, when you really look at it. Absolutely. Which mur- is one of the reasons why they didn't want to talk scene. about it. No, they didn't want to talk about it because yeah. crime scene, you know, and some of them participate, their ancestors and stuff participated in, right. in that right there. And, you know, hush, hush. Yeah. Don't say nothing about that. We don't want to talk about it. Yeah. And some of them didn't teach their kids either. Mm-mm. You know, and so that's why the younger Caucasian white people are discovering what how devastation that how bad that was mm-hmm. and they don't they're not in agreement with it because when i see black lives matter and i see predominantly white people protesting more than black people mm-hmm. that's telling me something yeah that's actually telling and i had the opportunity during juneteenth here in tulsa oklahoma and uh the trump uh rally to speak with a lot of uh whites Mm-hmm. That were down there on Greenwood, and I had to explain to them. Some of them knew exactly why they were down there, mm-hmm. and there were others that were still trying to learn why they were down there. But the, the the part that really got me is some of the younger blacks who didn't know anything about really about Black Wall Street. Wow, you know, some of them, not all, yeah, but some of them just didn't know the history, the story. Nothing like that. They could just hear music playing down there, and they were coming down there just to have some fun. But uh, but once you start telling them about the history, they were listening, and they were like, "Wow, yeah. we didn't know that went on down here like that." Yeah. You know? So we got to tell the story. Absolutely. Now you're down there at Greenwood, and I know you see a lot of film crews coming down there, don't you? Yeah. All the time, mainly predominantly white film crews, right? Right. Are they asking you a lot of questions, or how do you feel about that? Is a story being told correctly? You know, it's hard to say because we haven't seen any actual um, films that have been produced, although we hear that there are several that are in the works. And they are um, contacting not only the Greenwood Cultural Center, but many people in the community. In the community. Yeah, mm-hmm. to hear their stories and um to get their input and to get their feedback. And I appreciate the fact that at least they're coming to the source. At least they're visiting the historic Greenwood district, stepping foot on what we consider sacred ground to do their research and to learn about what actually happened here and not just relying on uh, what they find on social media or, or relying on textbooks. So we're, we're glad that this um, story is finally being told. And we're hoping and, and praying that by the uh, commemoration, at least that there will be a uh, a film, there will be um, a really significant documentary that has been completed um, that will help to tell this story, um, not only nationwide, but worldwide, because you know that there are people from across the world that come just to learn about this history that are just as interested um, as people here in the, in the U.S. So we're it's needed. It's time. Um, it's just time that this be discussed and acknowledged and talked about. And one of the things that they ask, and it's one of the things that I want to hear uh, about from our community, um, is 
when we talk about reconciliation and there's a move towards reconciliation, um, and I totally agree with uh, addressing reconciliation and moving uh, forward, um, but I also believe that reparations are due. I believe that in order to have a real conversation about reconciliation, if you truly care about reconciliation, then you'll be open to at least having a conversation about reparations. Mm -hmm. And what some of the uh, uh, news media have asked is, what does reparations look like to our community? For our community, what would that look like? Mm -hmm. And so I don't know if it's a question that has been asked um, to the community as a whole or if there's been um, any real do you think we should have uh, forums about it? I do. Yeah, some forums to talk about reparations and how it can uh, benefit our community yes. in more ways than one. Absolutely. Because I feel that it's owed to us. Yeah. I mean, every other race that I know of have gotten it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Native Americans have gotten reparations. And I think some Hispanics in certain areas of this country are getting it and you know well, we've never gotten it so I think the reparations mm-hmm. are due and in and in order and absolutely I think there should be perhaps some forums and discussions in our community about what reparations look like so that we have um an answer and a reply no matter who they go to or who they ask um We'll have answers. Mm-hmm. We'll have a list of things that are important to us and some things that we want to so see happen. What are some of the things that you think that we need to? We know we need some money. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we already know that's one number one. Money would help yeah. build some things. But what some of the other things that you think that this country could give us that we are owed? Yeah. You know, what do you think they are? Well, there's. There's things that the country can give us, but specifically for North Tulsa as a result of the uh, Tulsa Race Massacre, I think that there are some things that the city of Tulsa and the state of Oklahoma can commit to to our community. And so some of the things that they recommended, the Tulsa uh, Race Riot Commission, as it was uh, called years ago, some of what they recommended was scholarships for African-American students. You know, I was going to say that they should they should be able to give us free education here in this country. We shouldn't have to go to colleges and universities and pay nothing. Right. You know, as long as we're an African-American and you can prove that you are, then we shouldn't have to pay nothing. Yeah. I think that's, uh, that's, that's, that's one thing. That's one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely um, money for economic development in our community. For sure, for small businesses. They should have a fund for that. So, yeah. it, you know, they try to make it so hard for you to get a loan to open up a business. Or to for, buy a home. To buy a home yeah. or something. You got to go through uh, hoops just to qualify, yeah. you know, and you can't even get past first base. Yeah. You know, so they make it. So we need to break it down a little bit, you yeah. know, and uh, make it to where we can qualify Yeah. for all of this stuff. Absolutely. You know, they, you know and it's old to us because... We built this country. Yeah. We built this country. Yeah. All of that White House and Constitution Hall and all of that uh, Lincoln Center and all that stuff. We built all of that. Mm-hmm. That was built on the backs of slaves and mm-hmm. African American people who physically went in and built all of that. Yeah. We built Washington D.C. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Think about it. We Absolutely. did. Absolutely. Black people built it. So 
Um, we need to, uh, they need to, the system needs to make something of that because a lot of lives were lost yeah. and stuff during that period in times, and they give it back. We need it back. You know, yeah. we need it back. They talk about black people are lazy. You know, I hear that sometimes, but black folks are not lazy. They're systematically controlled. Mm-hmm. And when you have white privilege, mm-hmm. you know, then how can you win being 14% of the United States? Right. You know, so when good white people, what they say, good white people start charging up bad white people, that's when a lot of change is going to start taking place. And Absolutely. White silence is not. You just white side, you're gonna sit back, oh well, they just on, so I wish they would I I would like to help, but you know, come on, y'all. Yeah. You, know, you get 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 with the system. Yeah. Yeah, we've talked about uh racism and we've we've protested and marched and we continue to do so and will continue to do so until we see change, but I think that whites need to begin to have conversations with other white folks. That's true, educating other white folks. Yeah. You know, because some white folks grow up conditioned mm-hmm. and they don't actually understand when they're being racist. Mm-hmm. It's just common for them to say certain things and do certain things because their grandmothers and grand- grandfathers do it and they passed it on down and they don't even realize it. You yeah. Know, you know, and it's one thing to speak out um, when you're in the presence of uh, of blacks. It's one thing to be anti-racist in our presence. But what are you saying when we're not around, what are you mm-hmm. saying when, when you're among a group of, of other whites and there's no one there to hear your response? Do you continue to stand up and to, uh, yeah, and to speak out against yeah. it? That's that's what it's going to be a mm-hmm. bring about change when um, you're able to stand up and, and voice vocal. your yes. your real opinion amongst your peers. Yes, you know you don't get you don't be smiling at us in front of our face. Oh hey, how you doing, Michelle? Yeah. How you doing, Bobby? Hell yeah, right. Smiling, and then also you get with Johnny and Sam. Them, you know, and now you're talking against us. Mm-hmm. as being two faced. It. Mm-hmm. You know, you are just not standing up, not, not speaking standing, out, not speaking out at all. Um, yeah. So, so we need them to start speaking out. We appreciate the the people that are are speaking out, are speaking out, and standing up with us, and 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 marching and protesting, and being involved in this uh, fight. But we need you to, we need those people, those whites, to also speak out in closed doors, speak out in the classrooms, in the boardrooms, um, to to speak out about racism whenever you see it. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah. You know, my take on racism is this. Black people can't be racist. In order to be racist, you have to have power. Power, yeah. You got to have power. So a lot of people talk about, yeah, we can be racist. No, you can be prejudiced. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can be prejudiced, but you can't be racist. You got to have power Mm -hmm. to to be a racist. Mm -hmm. You know, and um, we got to understand. See, when we start educating, then we can start growing. Yeah. You know, oh, I didn't know we couldn't be racist. No? Okay, you heard it. Do your research. Yeah. You know, we got these cell phones and stuff. Use them for more than looking up junk and trash. (laughs) You know, because some people will use them. You can get an education on your cell phone. You can. A degree. You can. You know, just by going, taking classes online. Absolutely. You know, and some people do that. And we need to get into educating ourselves more 
of who we are and where we're trying to go. Yeah. You know. And educating each other. And it's okay to say, I don't know. Oh, it's okay to definitely. ask questions. And, and I see it every day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, it's okay to not know. And to expect for those that do know to teach you and to help you and to educate you without looking down on you, but appreciating the fact that at least you want to know, at least Mm -hmm. you want to be educated. Yeah. Yeah. You got to have that will and desire to be educated. Yeah. And you've got to do the research. You just can't expect it just to drop in your lap. Okay. I found out about Mm -hmm. this. You got to go and do some research. You Mm got to build a brand and be consistent Mm -hmm. in your learning. Yeah. You got to be consistent. Yeah. In everything that you do, because it's so often that we as African-Americans will work on something today. We got a goal now. We know what we want to do. We'll work on it today. A few days have passed. We'll work on it again. Then a few days have passed. We may work on it two days in a row. And then we go back to a week, a month or two weeks later. And we're not consistently mm-hmm. working towards the goal. And then we're not getting the results that we need to build the brand to mm-hmm. uplift your business to another level. Yeah. And the, I think the key is finding what you're passionate about. It's all about passion. Yeah. That passion will drive you to be consistent because mm-hmm. I think you could do this with your eyes closed. I can. I can go to sleep right here. <laughs> doing. I've done it so much. And I do it because I have a passion for you it. You have a passion you for know, it. For yeah. radio and broadcasting and, and seeing others yeah. do that as well. So. That's the passion. Yeah. You know, I've become a man who had to basically uh, reinvent himself, you know, because, you know, I had a music career. Yeah. Traveling and playing and all around the globe for years. And I had that career. And plus, I still play a little bit, you know. Yeah. But coming back to Tulsa, where economic development and things are going, we don't have those venues for African-American entertainment places and stuff like that. Yeah. I said, wow, there ain't going to be no place to play around here. Yeah. So what am I going to do? So I had to reinvent myself, you know, at my age to still be in it. Right. To win it. And it's all connected. Yeah. It's still connected to my music, you know, because we play music. Yeah. And uh, interview. I mean, I started off right here on radio station interviewing celebrities, my celebrity friends and buddies and people I knew in the industry. That's how it started. Wow. And we were just talking about back in the day and travels and New Earth, Wind and Fire, Lakeside, and all my friends and yeah. Charlie Wilson and all of us. Now, I, then I had to open it up for the community. Yeah. Because I start seeing the devastation in the community and how we didn't communicate. There's no communication. Yeah. There's no media. Yeah. You know, and I had to learn about media. I was on the other side of the microphone. You know, mm-hmm. you know these people used to inter- interview me. Now I'm saying I'm interviewing people. So we got to get this word out here to our young people uh, in our community, our history. Like, what well, we're talking about Black Wall Street and economic development, jobs, you name it in our community. Because we got a, right now here in North Tulsa, we got a grocery store going up. Yeah. You know, and that's everybody's excited about that. Yeah. But I've even heard some negativity about that. Yeah. You know, somebody, I don't know how they're going to build that grocery. They ain't going to do nothing but rob and steal. If you just keep thinking like that, then that's where you're going to be. Mm-hmm. You got to think positive. Think with energy. Because we were talking earlier, Michelle, young people, now you guys listen, and this is just Bobby Eaton talking. 
Young people need our wisdom. Mm-hmm. They really need our wisdom. Mm-hmm. But we need their energy. Mm-hmm. That's the trade-off. You know, I got that from Jamal Dyer. You know what <laughs> I mean? He said that one time, and I've been stealing it and using it. Like, you know, but <laughs> we've been using that little statement. I said, man, you know what? You're so right. Yeah. That is so true. Yeah. You know, they need our wisdom because you cannot go to war. Again, you cannot go to war without your generals. Right. You got to have generals to direct you in the war and in the struggle. So if you're not seeking information from your generals, you know, and if the generals are not giving you the information, then it's going to take longer in the struggle to fight. And that's part of it. You know, we want everybody to be educated and knowledgeable about who they are and where to go. Because if you don't know where you come from, how can you know where to go? You won't know where you're going. You won't even, if you don't know your history, you know, uh, we were talking about some music the other day, and I was saying, well, you know, you got the Rolling Stones, right? I'm just using this as an example. Mm -hmm. Rolling Stones and the Beatles. But you had, say, it would take, it would take Stevie Wonder, Aretha Franklin, Gladys Knight and the Pips, have to get together to even draw even half the crowd of the Rolling Stones mm-hmm. in a concert. And the reason being is the Rolling Stones audience, they're going to take their kids. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They're going to, that's Mick Jagger up there. That's mm-hmm. Jagger. And the little kids and the whole family is going to go to that concert where we might go to the concert just by ourselves mm-hmm. and not pass that history down to those young people. Yeah. So they grow up not even knowing who are Stevie Wonder, Mick Jag. I mean, Stevie Wonder, Gladys Knight, or Aretha Franklin is. Yeah. They don't even know who that is. I asked a, I asked a, a guy yesterday, you know, and uh, uh, one dude said, "Hey man, yeah, he used to play with Natalie Cole." He say, "You know <laughs> what I mean?" He says, "Now I don't know who that is," and I didn't expect him to. I don't have that. Expectation, but yeah, you know, Natalie's a nine time Grammy winner, yeah, <laughs> you know, nine Grammys, you know, but they just information is not pushed down, yeah. And when that happens, it's uh, we're doing ourselves a disservice not giving that good historical information about our people, yeah, you know. And no matter what you do, no matter what you attempt to do, there's going to be naysayers. Oh, there's going sure. to be someone that complains. It's not going to be good enough for somebody. But you just push forward and continue to do what you've been called to do regardless. And I think that we are getting to a point where we are committed to supporting one another um, and 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 being there for one another. And just realizing that you can contact someone, you can critique someone, you can come to me, Bobby, and say, Michelle, you said so-and-so, I don't think that was correct. I think you were inaccurate. Or you did so-and-so. As individuals, as brothers and sisters, if we truly see each other as brothers and sisters, and we have a genuine love and respect for one another, then we should be able to confront one another, to have a conversation, um, and it and it be that. Um, so you can't listen to what people, you can't be discouraged. I've heard some of it all. Um, and have thick enough skin that it doesn't really bother me because I'm just a program coordinator, and I'll speak of um, my position at the Greenwood Cultural Center. I'm a program coordinator, um, but I have an 
open door policy. So if there's things that you want to see happen at the Greenwood Cultural Center, if there are things that you think we should be doing, if there's a direction that you want to see us go in, we don't know what the community uh, no, we don't. wants or needs unless you let us know, unless you say this is what we want and this is uh, what we're hoping, this is what we're expecting. And so, and there are some things we're just not able to do. There's some um, things outside of our scope or outside of our mission, but I definitely want um, people to feel that they can come to, at least come to me. I can't speak for uh, anyone else, but at least come to me and have a conversation with me because I love North Tulsa. This is where I was born and raised. I live in North Tulsa because I choose to. I raise my kids in North Tulsa, my children in North Tulsa because I chose to. And so this is where my heart is. This is home. Yeah, it is home. Yeah. You know, a lot of people will leave North Tulsa and move to Broken Arrow, move to Bigsby, Sky 2, Owasso, uh, and forget all about North Tulsa. And they were born and raised here and walked these streets, went to schools here, everything, and not even tell their children about North Tulsa, Mm -hmm. you know, because their children are going to Broken Arrow, Union, all these different schools, and never tell them any history about where they come from Mm -hmm. and what it was like. You know, and I think when you do that, you're doing yourself a disservice. I'm not mad at you because you moved to Broken Arrow. It's just, <laughs> I'm not mad because you moved there or moved to Owasso. I get upset when you don't come back Yeah. over here to help. See, if I go out and become successful and be able to obtain a nice home and a nice school system and all that kind of stuff for my children, I should feel obligated to come back from where I come from and invest some of that into uh, children and, and older Absolutely. people, seniors, and help out some. I tell people all the time, I say, brothers, go by and cut Miss Johnson's yard. You know she's mm-hmm. 86 years old. Mm-hmm. She ain't got nobody cutting her grass. Right. You know what I mean? Go over there and take an hour with your lawnmower and, yeah. and knock it down for her. Ladies, go over there and knock on the door, befriend her, and help her clean her place up and stuff. Take your hour, uh, something like that, just to do that. Yeah. You know, and we got, and that's the Black Wall Street way of life. Absolutely. Of helping one another, you know. You got single parent moms out here that got a couple of boys or a boy or something like that who don't know how to raise a man. Mm-hmm. Because there's a difference between malehood and manhood. Mm-hmm. Big difference. Big difference. So, <laughs> brothers, grab that little man. And put him up on your wing, man, take him somewhere, put a lawnmower behind him or something, or show him how to paint or do something that he ain't never been able to do. Yeah. And, you know, buy him some pizza or something at the end of the day or whatever and take him on back or, or show him uh entrepreneur in the community or something. Hey, you can become this too. Yeah. You invest in our young people. Yeah. And that's what we have to get back to doing because they are being raised by technology, social media, and they've been raised by that. Playstations, Xboxes, games, video games, and that's what's raising our youth mm-hmm. because we use, we're letting them do that as babysitters. Yeah. You know, that PlayStation is a babysitter. Go in and give, buy them a new game and they'll be on there for hours all night long and you don't have to worry about them. Yeah. You don't have to talk to them. You don't have to communicate with them. You don't have to do anything. Just do that. And that's not fair. To them, are you right? Right. To even do that, you know. So we got to um, 
get our men, our young men back into a building. And that's I'm saying this about a young man because our young men have no sense of skill sets today. They don't know how to hammer. They don't know how to uh, plumb, electrical, uh, any of that, those type of skill sets. So the Hispanics pick up on that and they're able to roof. They're able to do all kinds of stuff like that and build. They'll take grandma's old house that you once gave up. Mm-hmm. You know, now you got you a $800 a month apartment mm-hmm. and grandma's house was lost and went back to the city and they bought it in auction. Yeah. And now they're restoring it and spent about $3,000 on it or whatever, 4000 even 5000 whatever it takes. And they renovated it. Mm-hmm. Now there's some brothers around town here who bought up a lot of houses. Yeah, you know some there's some that I know have bought some houses, but we got to get back to purchasing our land and keeping our land. Absolutely, I, I've heard recently over the last few days that there has been a lot of attention um, given to homeowners in North Tulsa that they've received letters or phone calls asking them to sell their home, oh, sell their yeah. property. So. Um, people are are saying, look, hold on to your home, hey, hold on to your I property. Get, I get them over here. Wow. They send yeah, them over here in the mail. That. I'm like, I you know, we're interested in buying your property. I'm like, hey, we ain't selling our property over here. We've yeah. been over here. This house was over here doing the massacre. Wow. You know, it was right there. You know, my grandfather built it. Yeah. You know, and so he built it and it was there. He was down on Greenwood during that particular time. This building that we're in it came a little bit later. Yeah. You know, but it's close to 100 years old. Wow. There's history here. The barbershop next door. So there's history here. Yeah. And I'm trying to preserve it and keep it. Yeah. Trying to give it up. Yeah. You know, not trying to do any of that at all. You know, so. Well, we've uh, been talking about quite a bit of stuff. Now, you, you you were talking earlier about not being able to have those kids programs down there. What are they doing just in the house? Well, you know, so I know nearly 30 years the Greenwood Cultural Center had been offering summer arts program. When I first started there, it was a half-day program um, that was offered by um, in, in collaboration with individuals like Helen Gordon and Vernon AME across the street. Um, and it evolved to a full-day program that served about 100 children. And then the Children's Defense Fund Freedom School served another 100 uh, children, and because of COVID, we were not able to offer um, on-site programs. And, and we worked with some art, uh, local artists and some artists out of Oklahoma City called Poetic City um, that were able to create some online content uh, performances um, and a few lesson plans for children that are at home. But um, it was heartbreaking to not be able to offer those programs and services to young people this summer. And to not know at this point when we will be able to resume any type of on-site wow. programs or classes. But we are working to um, uh, create digital uh, contact uh, content, virtual tours of the Mabel B. Little Heritage House and the Greenwood Cultural Center um, to try to continue to serve um, individuals who are interested and want to learn more about it. Um, but it's difficult during this point because there's just so much that's unknown. We just can't truly plan um, 
until we kind of know where we're headed, what direction, how long this is going to last. You can't even rent out the facility. We cannot rent out the facility. Um, Yeah, I don't think we're renting out the facility at all yet. Nothing's going on in there. Nothing is going on. Now, people are coming to tour. People have been coming um, to tour since we reopened July 1st. Um, So there's a steady flow of tours, but we are um, asking people to wear masks, to practice social distancing. We are not giving uh, guided tours uh, this summer um, at all, but hopefully... Yeah, no buses coming, huh? Nothing like that. No buses. No buses can come through. We are trying to do everything that we possibly can to keep our uh, staff safe, but to keep the community safe, to keep those um, visitors that are coming. We want uh, to keep a safe environment and facility. So that's what's most important at this time is that we we stay safe and we ride this wave together. Wow. That's um, interesting. I guess it's affecting a lot of us yeah. you know, here in our communities and stuff. Uh, the way we, the life we once knew is no longer. Yeah. It's changed. I don't think it'll ever go back. I don't know. You know, I know that these young people who are being born today and little bitty babies, two and three years old, they'll never know. If it doesn't ever go back to that, they'll never know that life. It's just so hard to imagine us not going back to normal mm-hmm. at some point. Well, this is the new normal. This is the new normal. Yeah, mask and everything and sanitize. Make sure you wipe down. Make sure you uh, wear a mask. Uh, be careful if you're going in the quick trip stores and grabbing handles and yeah. that kind of things and uh, fuel pumps and stuff like that. So we, a lot of people don't think of it. Just because you got on a mask, you still got to right. watch what you're touching and, you know, sanitizing yeah. and doing what's necessary. Yeah. You know, you have to invest a little time, a little change and get used to doing those things. Yeah. You know, and um, that's what's going to save us uh, for the most part. You know, if everybody could get on that and sacrifice, if we just did it all for a few weeks or so in this country, man, you could see some change take place. Yeah. You know, uh, I think uh, some places like China and them have went down. Mm-hmm. You know, in their uh, cases and stuff like that, they went all the way back down. But they're more disciplined. Yeah, you know, a lot more disciplined than Americans. <laughs> you know, we just kind of buck wild still with it, and we just want to, you know, not be as disciplined as yeah. some other countries yeah. and things like that. So that's what's going on. Well, Michelle, we're getting close to that hour. You know, the end of that. I yeah. want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule at the Greenwood Cultural Center to come up here uh, to KBOB 89.9 FM and sharing your stories as we tell it our way. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, Bobby. Thank you for having me. I always enjoy having a conversation with you as well. Yeah, it's a good thing. We're going to get you back. Yeah. You know, come back. We got to get you back more often. It's been a minute, you know, but we're going to get you back. All right, you guys, that's Michelle Brown, Greenwood Cultural Center. Uh, you're on the Bobby Eaton Show, where we tell our stories our way every Monday, Wednesday, 6 p.m., and on Saturdays from 12 to 2 p.m. Um, Central Standard Time. We are taking donations over here. You know, you can come by 1533. We got a donation bucket, and we're taking a couple of donations. Anything ha- uh, that you could uh, listen to me, a little bit 
anything that you could donate sure helps the Juice Radio Show and our young people, and it invests into what we're all about, and we need those investments. You can go to Cash App, Eden Media Services, Cash App right there, and a donation bucket right here. And come by 1533 North Norfolk. Help us out. We need the support and support local black businesses. All right. Until the next time, I want you to take a good one and uh, stay black. Stay black.